This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Mental health can be challenging. Keeping your mental health in check can be challenging when you're juggling work, family, and other obligations. In addition to improving your physical health, cardio has been touted as a great mental health tool. Exercises other than running don't provide many of the benefits that running does. You can improve your mental health by running for a number of reasons. Keep an open mind if you're not a runner. Too often, running is seen as punishment, painful, suffering, Colin debunks the myths about running and inspires others to engage with it in a peaceful, gentle, joyful pursuit that can enhance all areas of our lives. Colin's specialty is getting people of all fitness levels to run, regardless of their running history or current fitness level. Are you ready to learn the skills and habits of a runner, but not sure where to start? Listen to this episode. Valeria interviews Colin J. Turner, He is a lifelong athlete with 20 years of competitive running experience, including state championships and regional competitions. After struggling with injury pain and frustration for years in his 30s and unable to run more than five miles at a time, Colin reinvented himself as a runner and athlete and completed the 2021 Boston Marathon as a charity athlete. Colin is also a certified teacher with over a decade of experience in the classroom. With this expertise, he decided to create an educational course called the Running Empowerment Program to help anyone be empowered and use running as a tool for their well-being and health. Colin loves to travel, explore nature, cultivate tiny trees in tiny pots, make things out of yarn, and learn new things. He lives in Boston and teaches part-time in the Boston Public Schools. Meet Colin at turnerfitnesscoaching.com. Here's the interview with Colin J. Turner. In your own words, who is Colin Turner? Let's see. Who I am is uh, I'm an athlete. Uh, I'm a father of two. I am uh, someone who really wants to empower people. I think that's a core part of my identity and what I've discovered is that uh, who I am at my most fulfilled and my best self is when I'm working with someone to empower them to fulfill or accomplish what is important to them, what matters to them. I love that. And it seems like you already answered my question. I had a question in mind right away. Empower people. I mean, it's very inspiring. As you may know, that's why I do what I do. This, all this podcast, this, and everything I do has to do with that. So 
What is to feel empowered? What makes you feel empowered? Well, I think it's uh, to draw a distinction between feeling empowered or, you know, feeling helped or feeling like um, or feeling, uh, you know, made to do something or forced or manipulated, I think are really different. Um, and for me, what empowerment means is that someone has a, a few different components. One, they have the knowledge that they need. So they have, it might be factual knowledge. It might just be things that we were never taught or didn't know about ourselves. And as a running coach, there are so many things people think that they know about running or about their bodies or about fitness and exercise that turn out to be not true. And to correct some of those misconceptions and some of the, you know, myths about fitness and running and health, um, I think that's necessary for empowerment. And, you know, another part of it is giving people a sense that what what they can do to make a difference, that giving people a sense there is hope. It's not too late. Uh, they, they are enabled and they have the ability to accomplish what they want, even if it doesn't look exactly like their dream when they were, you know, 20 years younger. It can look the way that it can look a new way that maybe they haven't considered yet. And, you know, considering a new future is really empowering. That makes a lot of sense to me. So it's guiding. Empowering means guiding others to see in them the potential that exists. It's something that's already there. We are not really trying to change anything in the sense of uh, transforming people into a different kind of being, but just going that inner exploration. That makes sense. And the other mm. piece, I love the, uh, the inspiration part of it because it would be very detaching or disconnecting if we are trying to pass on a message that we are not living it. That's something that we mm. don't do, but we are just kind of telling people what to do and how to live, but we are not embodying that truth. So mm -hmm. I always look for that in any teacher or coach, people who are not just delivering messages, but being the message. That's empowering to me as well, which is the same thing you just said, but in a more specific way, because you are in the fitness, running industry, health. So with that in mind, what are some of the misconceptions we have about fitness, running, and health in general? Well, one, I think that I grew up hearing is the phrase, no pain, no gain. Yes. Yeah. That's that, a big one. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. it, that it has to hurt and right. that, you know, mm. you have to go through some kind of trial by pain and suffering and that that's the only path to fitness, wellness, strength. And that, You know, when you see people who are super fit and have a body that you want, we have some kind of an assumption that they must have gone through some horrible trial yes. of pain. Yes. They've tortured themselves by getting up at four in the morning and Got going it. to the gym. Uh, and I'm not sure where this came from, but running is not supposed to hurt. When we're running at a pace that matches our ability, running should actually feel really good. And it should 
it should feel joyful and it should be easy. You should be able to talk to someone next to you or people around you while you're running. And I think what people expect when they start running is that they'll be able to run for some amount of time without stopping at a fast pace. And so they start running at that fast pace and they try to keep it up for five minutes or 10 minutes, or they try to run a mile to start, right? That's like our, our foundational distance is like one mile from gym class growing up. So we think, okay, I'll go out and run a mile fast. And then, oh, that just is painful. It really hurts because that, that expectation or that thought, okay, I'll just go run a mile in eight minutes is some kind of false idea that we have from childhood or from what we see in the on TV or the movies. And what most people don't realize is you need to start with walking and then with maybe 30 seconds of light jogging and then walk again for five minutes and then do 30 more seconds of a light jog until it feels like you're a little winded and then stop and walk some more. And your body will respond even to that easy level of effort. Your The body's just miraculous in its ability to respond to and change when we put some kind of uh, exercise into it, when we move it. So people, I think, don't realize that you can get really fit and you can get in great walking and running shape by doing work that's easy and feels really good and is enjoyable. And I wish more people knew that. Yeah. So that sounds so true to me. Everything you say. I used to be a fitness trainer and a fitness competitor. And I remember trying so hard. But in my case, it was really lack of confidence, self-esteem, and so much trauma. Because mm. I had a lot of trauma mm. in childhood that was I was scaring. And then I remember just kind of unloading all that with um, the weight room, weights, and doing mm -hmm. all kinds of cardio activities to just reduce the emotional pain, really. That was mm. my case. So do you also believe that that's the reason why some people, they just exaggerate or go to the extremes mm. when it comes to running, emotional pain? Yeah, yeah, I do think so. I think some people, uh, you know, go out and run uh, for their mental health. And sometimes that's a really positive inclination. And that's an urge to, you know, get out and move and get the body going and the blood pumping and get out into nature. And sometimes I think like anything, it can be taken to an extreme that's really unhealthy if they're not properly fueling or if they're focusing too much on their weight and body composition and trying to run off lots of weight or they're, you know, putting too much stress and running too far or too fast. That's where runners get end up getting hurt and then they're not able to run. And, you know, that. It's something that I see all the time is runners who come to rely on running for as, you know, a stress reliever and a mental health activity. But if they overdo it and then can't run, it really becomes a mental health crisis where they're not able to get that uh, the endorphins and the good chemicals that we get from running um, and go into a depression. And 
you know, speaking from personal experience, it's happened to me more than once where I've gotten into uh, a pattern of running and I'm able to run three, four, five days a week and I'm feeling great. And, you know, I want to run faster. I want to run like I did in my 20s. I want to be fast again. So I push it and I push past a warning signal. My body tries to tell me to slow down or to take a rest day. I don't listen. And so I push past it. And then I end up having to take six or eight weeks off. And boy, those six or eight weeks, I am not my best self. I, I have, I'm impatient. I'm irritable. Symptoms of depression and anxiety come back. And, and it can be really devastating. It's really balance, isn't it, Colin? Finding balance mm -hmm. and becoming more self-aware, of course, and being willing to do the work because it's not easy to kind of have this. I would say live life in harmony, really. And I know it's not easy because I tend sometimes to kind of sit around too much working and all that, or sometimes mm -hmm. work out too much to do the extremes. <laughs> oh, gosh. How did you become a runner? Well, I quit the soccer team and joined the track team my first year of high school. Um, I was a soccer player all through middle school and before in elementary school. And I got to high school. I was so excited to join the high school soccer team and play in the big like high school, you know, stadiums and travel around to other schools. But I got onto the team and there was a culture there of hazing and of shame and embarrassing all the freshmen. And I looked and the coaches were encouraging it and the seniors were pu pushing it. And I was like, what? I'm unhappy. This isn't fun. I thought I'd be part of a team where we're, you know, we have each other's backs. It was really a toxic environment. And I thought, you know what, uh, maybe I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to try the track team. And if, you know, I'll go back to soccer in the, in the fall, uh, but I'll try out track in the spring just to see if it's any better. And I, I got to the track team. I had this extraordinary coach. His name is Coach Claude Holland. And he had the opposite culture of the soccer team where he all the seniors were tasked with welcoming and making sure that the newer and younger athletes on the team were knew the routines, that they knew each other, that they had a good experience and they felt welcomed. And I was like, oh, this, this is where I belong. This is where I should be. So I switched. I ran cross country that fall and then track and cross country every year through high school and through college. And it, it was the greatest experience. Being on those teams is one of the great, uh, great experiences in my life. Wow. Yes, I'm listening to you and I see that you still remember the name of the coach. Um, that oh, made, yes. That's the impact mm -hmm. he had in your life. That has everything to do with um, relationships. How do you define mental health? What is to be mentally healthy from your perspective? Mm. Well, I think it connects to what you were talking about regarding balance. I think it's really balancing what demand and what kind of stress that we have in our lives as a result of our jobs or our family or other the other forces that that uh, kind of pull us to add stress to our lives and balancing that with things that are caring and are sustaining 
of our bodies and also of our minds. So balancing that with sleep, with feeding our bodies the nutrition that they need, with being out in nature and with movement. And I think those those four things, uh, in, in addition to what you said, relationships and connections, having time with people who restore us and people who, you know, feed our the best parts of ourselves and give us that connection. Those things, we have to have balance between those and between the things we have to do that uh, or even the things that we're called to do. Sometimes even a career that's a calling and that's a uh, not just a job you go to, but, you know, a profession, it still adds stress to our, our system and our lives. So uh, I think my answer is balance. And my answer is uh, developing kind of a sensitivity to our mental state and our mental health, where we can notice when we're off and when we need more care, more more self-care, more rest, um, learning to notice those warning signs and then take some action and add more restorative practices to stay well. Yes. Would that be also, would you call that self-love, practices of self-love? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah they, definitely. They're all connected. And mm -hmm. do you actually differentiate Uh, make the distinction between self-love and self-care, Colin, or they are one mm. the same? Um, I think that self-care is an action. And, you know, there are self-care activities that I think every person develops kind of their own set of self-care actions. And I think self-love is the context. Like the reason why we take those actions is an act of as an act of self-love. That makes sense. Like the why that um, some people call it value, belief systems, although I, I try not to kind of repeat that too much. I don't like believing in anything, but just going through experience, just experiencing from that, creating the wise response to the, the future actions. Um, I want to go back to the topic of, of stress So I know you mentioned sleep, um, exercise, all that. It sounds to me in order to find balance. So we engage in these healthy activities. But what is the main cause of stress for most of us? What would you say? Mm. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think it is something like feeling like we have to do something that may not be what we actually need, having to get up early to be at a job or at a location to give our energy to earn a living that we all need to do, um, to, to be giving and caring for someone or something can also be a real source of stress. You know, any parent like myself, I have two kids, they're ages seven and nine right now, and I love them so much. I spend lots of time with them. And after a full day with my kids, 
I need some time to de-stress. I need to take care of myself because I'm, I'm so focused on being with them and caring for them that, you know, that can really, I can become overstimulated. I can become, you know, uh, tapped out. And I need to, I know that I need to put in time to take care of myself or I can't be the parent that I want to be the next day. Yeah. I just paused here for a moment, <laughs> thinking mm. about what you said. Yeah, having to do something. I kind of merge what I do. I know a lot of times I have a hard time being on time. I don't know what that is exactly. It seems like I need to investigate what that is. Um, I do a lot of spiritual practices, so I practice being in the moment. And I lose track of time a lot of times. I just don't have a very good sense. I don't drive either, so I don't have a good sense of time and space. It's almost I can get lost quick, like geographically, and also Mm. I lose completely track of time if I'm not watching, looking at the clock or something like that. So this having to do, it seems like it goes back to that balance that you speak of because we can't really live in that timeless space, which I would love to <laughs> have no appointments at all. And, oh, just be here whenever it felt like, <laughs> which it wouldn't work anyway. So how do we do that? How do we find, is that something for me has been purpose, like I mentioned off right. Mm-hmm. So what is your idea of purpose? As I said, I think I tried to explain that. For me, purpose is doing something that's beneficial for me, for my family, and then for my community, and then for the world, for humanity. That gives me a sense of purpose. It's, mm-hmm. I'm not doing anything that's just for me. Even when I eat the foods I eat, mostly vegan, vegetarian, I try to be very gentle with everything. So I'm not hurting no one. Mm. So that gives me a sense of purpose. That's my my world. So what is that for you? What gives you a sense of purpose? And how do you balance this um, conflict between having to do something <clears throat> and doing something with joy, you know, with love? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that sense of purpose for me comes from being connected to why I'm doing something. Yeah. And, and how it fulfills me as a human being. And for me, I'm fulfilled when I know that I'm making a difference for someone. I know that I'm contributing in some way and empowering someone. So for 12 years, I was a full-time teacher in the classroom and, you know, had to, my alarm in the morning was, six o'clock or 6.15 to get to school by 7 a.m. or 7.10 to start teaching and teach until about 2.30 or 3 o'clock and then have grading and planning and contacting parents and professional development. The life of a teacher uh, is really demanding in terms of, you know, uh, what is asked of teachers is an enormous job. And You know, there are times when I was really fulfilled by that work and that I'd be in the classroom having a moment with my students and say to myself, like, yeah, this is it. It's all worth it. This is the best job. I wouldn't trade this for a job, uh, you know, a desk job at a corporation for a million dollars. This is this is it. And there are other times when I would say, 
I can't do this anymore. This is not worth it. I'm exhausted. Uh, I don't have the energy to be home with my own kids. I'm angry and irritable. And there, you know, after 10 years, I began to burn out and wasn't had no balance between what I was giving and what was being demanded and asked for me of me and my job as a teacher and, you know, my own, my own self care. And I had to take a step back from teaching and had to take a year off and then come back to half time so that I could have some balance and really take care of myself. And, um, the, your question is about purpose and I still find a lot of purpose in the job of education and teaching. And it's also why I decided to become a running coach and a, a trainer is that I have that uh, desire to really contribute to people who are struggling or suffering. And uh, I find that really fulfilling and when I looked at what I could do with the rest of my time, now that I teach half time and I, I wanted to be doing something else, this was the natural thing that came right up. It was like, oh, I want to help people who are struggling to run, uh, who, who keep getting injured or who don't know how and think that they can't ever run. I want to teach them that, that they can, it's not too late, and empower them to be able to do that. Yeah, that's the work of inspiration so it's inspiring others to be to be themselves isn't it i do see that we have that it's very innate um the sense of peace and joy it's not something that we can achieve it's something that we uncover so and sometimes by engaging activities like it could be a workout it kind of uncovers that you know that joy that sense of fulfillment that's i have already everything i need is there there's something about that i'm in my my practices are very spiritual so with that in my or my understanding of myself in the world it's a spiritual one do you have any spiritual ideas or views belief systems colin um i would say i have a general sense of connection with nature and part of what i love about running is getting to go out into the woods and be on running trails and paths um, either alone or with other people and that's a place where i really find some connection with something greater than myself and the other places in uh, connection with other people in my loving relationships with my kids, with romantic partners, with my parents and my family, I find a real uh, a sense of spirituality when we're connected and when, you know, we sit around the table and look at each other and have a moment where we go like, wow, this is really special. We're really lucky to have each other and to be here right now in this moment sharing this together. Mm. Wow, I love that. <laughs> yes, it's a huge part of um, 
of any spiritual practice, it's relational. So relationships, mm -hmm. right? It's powerful. In spirituality, to me, it's really the uncovering of who we are and of what we are in the sense of mm -hmm. uh, when you, you speak of nature, is that sense of peace. That's what I see in nature. We are nature too. We are not separate from it. So when we go within ourselves in meditation, we stay mm. quiet for a while, then we kind of reconnect with the nature within and it feels so good. And then we find peace again that never left us really. Uh, so that's what I call spirituality, really. It's not a philosophy, although it sounds like it, uh, it could be mm -hmm. interpreted as a philosophy, but it's very real, very, very tangible. Talk to me about the, uh, the course. I went to your website and I see that you have the Running Empowerment Program, REP. So talk to me about that. Well, this is what I created when I sat down and thought, okay, how do I address this problem among runners and among people in general who um, we get to a certain age, somewhere around 30 or 40, sometimes 50 years old, and we want to be able to uh, accomplish some kind of a goal. So, and for some people, that's like run a marathon. They have, a, they have like something in mind, like I want to run a marathon for a charity or just for my own personal satisfaction and accomplishment. And for other people, the goal is much different. And it's like, I want to be able to run around with my kids or my grandkids and be active in their lives, keep up with them, be able to carry them up and down stairs easily, be able to, you know, meet the demands of parenthood and or grandparenthood um and along with that desire that they have they have some goal or desire they really want and they have a barrier to that which is either the beliefs they have built up about how hard it is and how painful it is to be in sh in that kind of shape or they they try it and get hurt have some persistent injury that keeps coming back again and again and they give up and they go, Oh, I guess I'm just not cut out for that marathon. Or I guess I'll never be able to run around with my kids or grandkids. It's just not for me. It's too late. And Oh, that just breaks my heart to hear people that are in that place of just having given up like resigned about it. So I said, okay, what do I, what kind of education or coaching or program would I need to create to take somebody from having that desire, but also being, uh, having those barriers and being, um, feeling like they can't or like the, the mountain is too high and it's too hard and take them to a place where they actually have the tools, they have the knowledge, they have the, a skill, and they have a mindset that it is possible, that it's not as hard as they think, and that there is an answer to why do I keep getting injured in this one place? And there is an answer to, you know, how do I, where do I start? If I want to go from where I am now to where I want to be, what, where do I start and what do I do? And questions like how often do I run? How many times a week? How fast? Where? Um, what kind of shoes? What kind of clothes do I need? All of these things 
So I, I put all of this together, thinking like a teacher, into a course. And I set the course at 12 weeks long, knowing that that's probably the minimum amount of time that people can see a real tangible gain in their fitness, uh, in their aerobic fitness. And I don't tell people what to do in this program. I don't give a training plan and say, run this many miles on this on these days and you know, lift these weights on these other days. Uh, what I do is a series of interactive small group lessons that I do on by virtual video call where we all get together. I decided to do it in a group format because people contribute to each other in ways that I never could plan and I never could, uh, that much more than I could contribute to people one-on-one when I put people in small groups, they just come up with the most extraordinary ways to support each other, hold each other accountable in a positive way. And we make, we, we create kind of this group identity over these 12 weeks. That's just, it's fun, much more fun than me doing it one-on-one with people. Um, and, you know, I made it a progressive course that starts with really the basics and goes all the way up through, by the end of the course, people know how to create their own running plan for any kind of race or challenge that they might want to do. They know the principles of how to warm up and how to cool down, and they know how fast to run and how many days a week to run. Uh, and I, I go through and give them the knowledge and the skills and practice it with them over these 12 weeks. So by the end of it, they're able to plan their own fitness and their own running and then I release them off into their lives and and um and the, the most wonderful thing is when I hear back from someone I just heard back from uh someone who did my course a year and a half almost two years ago and um we interacted about something else we found each other on Facebook and you know I asked him how he was doing he said oh I'm doing great my, my self-care practice is really excellent now. I'm running. I'm doing something every day. and um, You know, I've, uh, it's just been great since your program. I've really known how to do it so that I don't get hurt, and I'm doing great. I was like, wow, that's amazing. Even after a year and a half, he is he's using everything that he learned in that course to keep uh, to keep himself well and to keep in the shape that he wants to be in. And uh, so that's the goal of the program is to leave people like that empowered. That's beautiful, though. The, I love your intention, of course, and uh, the impact that it has had, has and has had. That is, there's nothing more beautiful than that when I think about it. People mm-hmm. helping one another to become happier, lighter, have more fun with this experience. Because um, in the end, it seems like it's uh, it goes back to that. You know, I wish I had, I had more fun mm-hmm. and I enjoyed life more. So technical question, is running for everyone at any age or what are the limits, Colin? Um, I, I really think it can be. And yeah. I think... Um, that for some people, walking is where they need to start. And that for some people, jumping right to running a mile, like we talked about, isn't a good idea. <laughs> and it really depends on people's age and level of fitness and you know previous injury history. And I always cover that with people at the beginning and meet people with wherever they are at 
there's a place that they can start. There's always a ramp onto where they can begin to move. And yeah, sometimes for people that's walking and I want them to walk 30 minutes at a time, three days a week. And that's where they start. And then we add a little bit, maybe we add a fourth day. Then we add a little bit of time and they're walking for 40 minutes instead of 30. And then depending how they're feeling and how their legs are and any previous injuries, sometimes people have ankle sprains that get aggravated and that, you know, we need to do some strengthening and I need to give them some calf raises and ankle mobility exercises before I want them to run. And then eventually if they want to, and that's a goal that they have and they have that desire we'll start running 30 seconds and then up that maybe to a minute with four minutes of walking and then one minute of running and then slowly build over a course of weeks. And I think that's another misconception is people think, oh, okay, there's a 5k. It's six weeks away. I haven't run in 10 years. Let me just sign up for that 5k. I can do it. Yeah, you can do it in the short term, but if, if you're thinking like I am thinking in the long term, as in like 40 or 50 year long term, it's not sustainable. And then when someone trains, uh, you know, for something short term like that too hard, it's painful. The experience is miserable and they think I hate running. I don't I'm not doing that again. Um, so. The misconception is really just how much time it takes. It can take months for someone to be ready to run for 20 minutes without stopping. And and we we say we have this view kind of like the shortcut culture, like, you know, we'll whip you up into shape and do a boot camp and get you in, you know, get you in shape in six or eight weeks. That's just not how the body responds to exercise unless you can rest for 12 hours a day and you have a perfectly designed nutrition. You can sleep eight to 10 hours a night. You don't have a job or kids. <laughs> okay. <laughs> then, <that's right. laughs> then maybe yeah. you could train for four hours a day, yeah. rest for 16 hours a day and get in incredible shape in eight weeks. But nobody lives like that. We have we have limited availability for recovery, and so we have to have we have to take a long view and have limited input of you know training stress on the body, so that we can balance it with recovery and people can improve at a rate that works and is sustainable in the long term. Yes. I love that too about the way your approach. It's very practical, and it's um, it has a lot of it cares for the body and the mind, of course. Mm -hmm. So it's holistic and sustainable, as you said. So it's not only about getting to the destination, getting the results, and reaching that goal, but kind of doing that with responsibility, with kindness. I would mm -hmm. say it's really the word that comes to me. So it's a very kind approach. And intelligent, of course, for that sake, too. So we're almost at the end. I do have more questions. I have too many questions, not enough time. Mm -hmm. What is the best way to find more information about the course, about you? Is that your website or there are other places, Colin, to find you? Yeah, right now, probably the best way is Instagram. It's at Colin J. Turner. 
I am in the middle of overhauling my website, which I'm really excited about. I'm going to make a whole client area where people can log in and see their personalized um, profile and see their exercises. And that is under development. I'm really looking forward to rolling that out. But on Instagram, I post at Colin J. Turner and, you know, I respond to every message and love to hear from people. Um, and people can also contact me through the website, which is turnerfitnesscoaching.com. Yes, I do have it here. I'll have on your podcast profile. Uh, I love the way you say that. Um, you send it to me, I believe, by email. You say, too often running is seen as a punishment, painful, suffering. Running can be a peaceful, gentle, joyful pursuit that can enhance all areas of our lives. So mm -hmm. that really caught my attention. That's what it really, um, when I came across your work and you, that was yeah, the message. It's something that's very effective, which is enhancing our mental health, you know, physical health. But it's very gentle. So there's a lot mm -hmm. of um, kindness behind it. And I want to mm -hmm. thank you again for that, because that's what we need more in this reality. More kindness in every way. If life had one purpose, one purpose only, what would that be? In, in one word, connection. And that can be connection with our own selves and our bodies. It can be connection with nature, connection with family, friends, loved ones. And I think that that is the pursuit and journey for me is becoming more and more open to and sensitive to connection with myself and with everyone mm. around me. Yes, I love that answer. That almost like answers. You answered all of my questions. <laughs> oh, I, great. Perfect. I had success. You. How do you define success? You probably will say, would you say the same thing? Connection with yourself and others? I think I would. I would say, yeah, expanded ability to connect. And also, I would say uh, sustainability that, you know, I've reached a, a balanced and sustainable place where um, I'm fulfilled in what I do and having fun doing it. Yes. Right, to have fun doing that's the whole point. Although yes. it's simple but not easy, right? To have fun all the no. time. I know it's a, <laughs> it takes work. It's a contradiction <laughs> that takes work sometimes to have fun or to be joyful, sure. peaceful. Yeah. What do you love most about being in the human body or being the human body? Hmm. Um, mm. I would say it, the body's capacity to recover and heal is really incredible and extraordinary. And it's not just that when we, when we put some kind of uh, stress or exercise on the body, it doesn't just recover to the same level that we were at. It actually recovers to be stronger and more capable and more uh, have more fitness than before. And if you think about it, that's just incredible that if we walk 30 minutes one day, the body goes, okay, that was 30 minutes of walking. Let's, let's add some uh, capacity to this body to be able to go 40 minutes, not 30. So the, the body has this incredible innate um, desire and 
and ability to go farther and to do more and it overcorrects so if you if you lift 20 pounds today the body goes okay that was 20 let's let's get strong enough to do 25 yeah it's highly intelligent isn't it mm-hmm. it's almost more intelligent than we can understand it a lot of times we uh, ignore um, yes a lot of its intelligence right we uh, overlook it mm-hmm. Mm. I agree. And it's incredible, the self-healing power that it has. It's so true. Yes. It just self-heals. Mm-hmm. We don't have to do anything to think our way, right, to healing. It's just, it does. It does that work. It does. Uh, mm-hmm. What a beautiful message. Thank you so much again for your presence today on this podcast. Also for our connection, <laughs> our meaningful connection and everything else in between. I love what you do and how you do it. Thank you so much again, Colin. Thank you. This was really a pleasure. Yeah, you take good care of yourself and we'll talk soon. Bye for now. I will. Same to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Colin J. Turner and his work, please visit turnerfitnesscoaching.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.